Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're going to read verses 1 through verse 9. The beatitude that Bob Barber will be preaching on this morning. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Sean, thank you and good morning. Our pastor Jim is taking a break, a midsummer break, and so you've had uh, a couple of not guest messages, I suppose, Sean last week, and you have me uh, this morning, and um, I'm thankful to be before you and ask your prayers. You know, not doing this very often, it can be somewhat of a challenge <laughs> to prepare and to communicate in a meaningful way. And that's my prayer that I could do that this morning as we consider the text from Matthew continuing on in the Beatitudes as Sean has read from the beginning, perhaps it's, it's fitting to remind ourselves, taking a moment to remember where we've come. We're going through this series on the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes being proclamations and a component of, a part of, the Sermon on the Mount of Christ, where he is early in his ministry. Very, very early. We're in chapter 5 of, of Matthew. And Jesus has just begun his public ministry calling disciples. He's called his first disciples, four of them. Uh, and he has uh, moved about in the land of Israel, healing. And he uh, obtains a following, or he creates quite a stir through his teaching and his miracles of healing. The crowds follow him, and the, the text tells us that he had people from uh, Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea. These are regions around that we might say he had people from all over the place following him as he was teaching and healing. And at a certain point early in his ministry, seeing that the scripture says, Seeing the crowds, he went up, and he sat down. You know, I have this image as I was reading the text again, you, this, the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> the text tells us that Jesus sat down to teach in this instance. And that, that was, in my reading, the kind of the position that a, a rabbi or a teacher would take um, in, in a sitting position. But nonetheless... He sat down in this instance after having seen the crowds probably upon a knoll or a high place and looking out. 
he sat down and he taught. And he delivered what is somewhat of a, a, a manifesto or an expression of kingdom values. As he is entering into the time and space, it is his time to teach and proclaim. And he begins with the teaching of the Beatitudes, the series of blessings, and many of which are sort of counterintuitive. They're expressing kingdom values that we wouldn't often associate with um, being blessed, such as being meek, mourning, um, these elements of kingdom, kingdom living and values that Jesus declares. One commentator expressed it uh, as revolutionary. These things were, were teachings that were uh, revolutionary. And we've considered six of them, and we're going to consider the seventh this morning, which is, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This particular teaching of peacemaking perhaps is always relevant. We you know we sort of have a tendency when well, it is always relevant. It, it may be more particularly relevant today in some ways because the world rages all around us. It is filled with strife and animosity and violence, and it is all around us, even in our town, our wonderful town. Yet, the teaching is always relevant because a, a reading of history will demonstrate to us the world is always raging, and it's always been. There's a tendency to say, my, but for the good old days. But the good old days weren't all that good because the world has raged and is raging now, yet still it seems particularly relevant in light of the recent circumstances of our land. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's consider the verse under our three headings. We've used these three headings throughout all the Beatitudes, our character, our promise, and our call. Considering first our character. Our character, the defining qualities of who we are. The character of human beings. Our character. And we don't have to look very, very far to understand that the Bible describes to us and about us with regard to our character. In fact, if you were inclined to turn to Genesis chapter 4, we don't go very deep into the Scripture before we find a description of strife. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. This is Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, 
he had no regard. So Cain, very angry, fell on his face. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And the passage goes on. We are four chapters in the Bible. Brother, it's killing brother. After the fall, of course, this is where we are. And this can describe the tendency of our hearts. We find it in that relationship between Cain and Abel. Brothers and sisters, this is our family of origin. This is our family. They are descended from Adam and Eve, and we are descended from them, that first Adam. And if we examine our own hearts, we also need not look very far. We don't have to look far to see those same tendencies to violence. Perhaps not literal murder. We may not be out in the street shooting and killing people. But in our hearts, in our hearts, examine them. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, As a man thinketh, thinketh in his heart, that so he is. And the Sermon on the Mount is not just the Beatitudes. There is much more teaching beyond the Beatitudes as we're looking at them. Yet, just beyond the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verse 21, Jesus is teaching as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is the teaching of Christ as we think in our hearts that so we are. The commandment in the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment from our standards, thou shalt not murder. And the Westminster Confession question, the, the larger catechism, question 136, describing and teaching on this sin of murder, says this, what are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? Thou shalt not kill. The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away of life of ourselves or of others, except in case of public just, justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, meaning greed and gluttony, too much work, 
and too much play, teaching moderation, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever tends to the destruction of the life of envy. This is the teaching of our confession with regard to what is in our hearts and the way we consider others. And we can scale this from an individual level, from one-on-one. We can scale it up to community, those around us, the groups that we're a part of. We can scale it up to national life, strife of one sort or another related to life in our nation and state, and we can scale it up to cultural divides. And my, my, look at your Twitter feed if you want to see even those within the church as the interactions between one another, we see the division and the strife. All of this speaks of strife and conflict that is born of sin, crouching at the door. We have a warning. It is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. This is what the Scripture tells us. Strife and conflict born of sin. But let us make a very, very, very important distinction. All strife and conflict is not born of sin. Jesus himself saying in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus speaking here, a belief in faith in the truth of the gospel of God in our salvation is going to lead to certain strives and certain divisions. Standing on the truth of Christ will create a division so that we have two dimensions. And by the way, that's throughout the Bible. When one stands on truth, when our biblical models and teachers stand on truth, there's often persecution. There's often separation because light cannot dwell with darkness. The two are exclusive of one another. So we have two dimensions. We have a strife and a conflict that's born out of indwelling sin, and we have a strife and a conflict that is born out of the administration of truth and righteousness. We have these two. And Jesus sits down on the mount, and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Which moves us to our second heading, our promise. Just before the violence of Cain and Abel, where Cain kills his brother. Just before that, back in Genesis, this would be chapter 3, verse 14. When God confronts Adam and Eve, particularly Eve, about their disobedience of eating from the tree of life, 
The Lord says this, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all, he's saying to the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Hear this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is that? What's happening here? Right here, as God confronts Adam and Eve about their disobedience, there is provided what the theologians will tell us is the proto-evangelion. I hope I pronounced that right. It is the first declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ prophesied for the salvation and the reconciliation, the making of peace between a disobedient fallen humanity immediately and a holy and righteous God in Trinitarian conference, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of love and mercy for the creatures, create a plan of salvation and announce it. This is the first promise of Christ, the first prophecy of the gospel of peace. It's a promised reconciliation of God and man. It is the atonement of sin. It is the making right, the forgiveness, merciful forgiveness of grace for this conflict and strife that man created in the fall. We created it. We rebelled. And God provides immediately the means for the reconciliation, the atonement of sin, the establishment of God's kingdom, the reign of of shalom, God's peace. And if we moved on over after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the conversion of the Apostle Paul, he describes our peace with God, believer. He describes it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we also obtain access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received what? Reconciliation. This is Paul's description of peace, of God's shalom, on the heart of the believer. Sin 
having made us enemies of God, is covered and made right and atoned for by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's at His initiation, God initiated it, we're the recipients of it. This then is our promise, that we would be the very sons of God. In the midst of this greatest rebellion of all, God makes a way for us to be the sons of God. Now let's talk about sons of God. Blesses are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. We're not speaking of gender here. We are speaking positionally. And in the context of the culture in which this was written, the firstborn son was the heir of all. And so that brothers and sisters alike are now heirs of Christ's righteousness and all the riches of heaven through faith and through belief. And so we see our character. And so we see the promise of God. And that peacemaking is initiated by God. Now let us look at our third heading, our calling. As recipients, believers, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have faith in Him and look to Him for the forgiveness of their sins. As recipients of the gospel of grace, we are called to be peacemakers. You know this. You know we're called to be peacemakers. But we are not called to be peacemakers as the world understands peacemaking. There's a different kind of peace at work here. Typical methods in our world for peacemaking will include separation and toleration. That's a biggie. Tolerance. Perhaps even domination. If we can separate, if we can just separate the folks out and we'll be at peace, we can just live our separate ways. Or if we can just tolerate one another, we just coexist, coexist. Perhaps we'll have to sacrifice a bit of what we understand to be truth. Or maybe perhaps we don't declare what we understand to be truth just so that we can go along to get along. We'll tolerate. Or if we can just dominate enough, we can squelch and there'll be peace. It all leads to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, when he cries out, peace, peace. There is no peace. We are not called to be like the world in our peacemaking nor hear me very clearly here. Peacemaking is not a set of skills to be mastered in order to earn favor with God. The verse says, blessed be peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Now there are skills that need to be mastered. And there are very practical ways, which we're not in particular concentrating on here, but there are very practical ways to make peace and to reconcile and to live at peace, but is not a set of skills to earn merit or favor with God. Peacemaking for the Christian flows from a renewed heart that understands that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered, died, and bled for his enemies that they might be reconciled unto God. It is an atonement. Brothers and sisters, this is deeply profound. The manner in which we make peace, the manner in which we relate to those whom we consider our enemies, the manner in which we live our lives 
the way in which we declare truth is all directed and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we are called to be like unto Him, witnessing to His love and His grace and His mercy, yet remaining faithful to the truth. It's not easy. It's not easy. We just came from General Assembly, and our church, the Presbyterian Church in America, is in deep discussions kind of across the denomination about how to be a faithful witness in the culture we now find ourselves. How do we live and proclaim truth? And one of the overtures before the assembly there of about 2,400 or so teaching and ruling elders had to do with the issue of human sexuality, which is consumed our culture. And how do we live faithfully in the midst of what's going on all about us? How do we be peacemakers? And an old saint of God that is a part of our church, O. Palmer Robertson, he was a, a theologian, and he's, I guess he's probably 85 years old now, 80. Wrote, wrote many books, Christ of the Covenants, others taught at Reform. He's, he sort of just materialized out of nowhere, it seemed at one of the microphones speaking to this resolution or this overture that was before the, uh, the assembly. And as he spoke, he said this, to those that are captured by this particular sin, let us speak the first word of salvation. And what is that first word? Repentance. Repentance. That first word, speaking it out of love and grace and mercy, because that's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We who were sinners and enemies of God, Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Trust in my sacrifice upon the cross to atone for your sin and live righteously wherever I have placed you. Brothers and sisters, we are peacemakers and we are called to be peacemakers because the Lord has first made peace with us. And you see the manner by which he did. And so we live out through word and deed, through the proclamation of the truth and by serving truth and by living that truth. That is the manner in which God would call us to peacemaking. So what's the application for this? All of us have various talents, abilities, personalities. Some of us have particular vocations. Others are learning and exploring what their vocation will be. God calls us in whatever circumstance to live out truth and to declare truth in such a way that there might be peace with God. And that includes repentance for ourselves and for the world around us, speaking that truth. How will you live out what the Holy Spirit has called you to do? What are your unique giftings? What are the practicalities of truths that need to be declared either in the community or right in your family? Speaking the truth in love that there might be peace and shalom. Not the absence of conflict. That's not it. 
but the seed of truth that there might be true peace, peacemakers, to whom might you be called to speak or to serve or to love despite their unloveliness. May the Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts. May He call us into the task of peacemaking. For certainly blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You for making a way Thank you for making peace, for you are the ultimate, the end all of all peacemaking through Jesus Christ. We praise him. We thank you for him, for his obedience actively and passively on our behalf that we might be called, believers in Jesus might be called sons of God. It's in the name we pray. Amen.